Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times. The things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas. Today with episode 526, I think I said it was 526 yesterday, but it was actually 525. Um, but 526 today, and uh, it is a Thursday, and it is also, what day is this today? It's the 7th of October 2010. We're, you know, 25% through the month of October, folks. Um, it just, you know, it just keeps on coming, folks. i got to tell you. It is a time to make sure that you're prepared and you're doing the things, especially with your garden and your homesteading, uh, to make sure that you're ready for winter because it's coming really, really soon. Uh, there will be Christmas carolers in the streets before we know it. I know that seems like a long way off yet, but take a trip to the local sh- uh, stores. Uh, you'll see Christmas stuff everywhere already. That kind of drives me nuts. It's one thing when I see the Halloween stuff out now but uh, and some Thanksgiving stuff. When I see Christmas stuff out in the first week of October, it's like, jeez. Anyway, let's get off of that. Um, really has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about economic fear and moving forward in spite of economic fear. Um, I did a talk session last night that a lot of you guys showed up for on a thing called Pal Talk. I think we're going to get us a Pal Talk room for TSP. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but a really cool technology. It's like a chat room, but people can talk to each other, and it has a lot of other enhanced features. It was really pretty cool. Really great people, but... I was there to discuss hyperinflation, and the room was about gold buying gold and silver. So, obviously, I think people expected me to be in there to talk about, hey, just buy gold and silver, and a million reasons to do it. And, of course, I'm a little bit more broad strokes than that. And I also heard something that, I don't know, maybe I've been in our cocoon here for too long, and I've stayed out of the fray for too long, but I heard a renewed level of fear and anxiety in people about what's going to happen to the economy going forward. I think that this audience, if you go through enough shows, it's almost like economic therapy. You start to realize that there's only so much you can control, but if you take a little bit of action every day, a lot of what happens out there isn't really as big a deal for you anymore. But those that haven't been through that yet, or those that maybe don't focus on that aspect and don't realize the connection... There's a lot of fear out there, so I wanted to dispel some economic fears today, not by telling you they're not true, but by making you understand them and make you understand what you can do about them and make you understand the limitations of what they can actually do to you. Because it's just like any other thing, any other ghost story or, or, or you know, bad thing that we can hear about. When we don't really know, it's a hell of a lot scarier than when we completely know and we completely understand. So I'm going to work on that with you guys today. I think this will be a fun show uh, in spite of some of the, the, the way that some of the stuff we're going to look at. We're going to look at really so much more about our empowerment than what 
economics can do to us today that I think it'll be inspiring versus uh, downtrodden. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by making sure that this show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one is the Berkey guy with Berkey uh, Water Filtration Systems. I just got my Berkey, my new Berkey, about a week ago uh, from the Berkey guy. I've got it set up. Let me tell you what we did. We banished everything in this house made out of plastic that water was in. We went out and bought a, uh, a bunch of stainless steel water bottles. I didn't buy as many as I want because I'm holding off. We have new stainless steel bottles uh, coming to the gear shop soon with TSP stuff on them. They're going to be cool. And uh, we've got the filter filled up, and we are now making sure that we're using that uh, as our primary means of water filtration in the home. Uh, I've been using another technology, but I think that this is going to be the best one for the home. And uh, I'm really impressed with the Berkey system, uh, how easy it is to put together, how good it looks in the house. Uh, make sure you check out the Berkey guy. And uh, when you do, realize that with the Berkey system, there's the Berkey black filters, and they filter everything but fluoride. And then there's a second set of filters that go on the bottom that remove for fluoride and, and arsenic from water. And I really recommend that you add those. I am a big believer that fluoride does not belong in our drinking water. I know some people take exception to me with that, but I don't think it belongs there. Uh, next up is Safe Castle Royal. Check out Safe Castle Vic over there. He's a great supporter of the show. Uh, he has a discount buyer's club, $29 a year. Big discounts on everything he sells. Member Support Brigade people get it for free. So it's a great benefit uh, of being a Member Support Brigade member. And it's a great uh, website with a lot of really great stuff for all your prepping needs. Next up, um, check out the YouTube channel. Today I'll be putting out a post on the blog later today of a video that's already on my YouTube channel of a review of the Consolidator um, Pantry from ShelfReliance.com. Um, I've been holding off on that because I've been working on getting a special discount code for you guys for this month to go along with that. I've got two great discount codes that I'll be putting in the uh, blog post when I put it out. I believe it's 10% off all food rotation systems and 20% off the Consolidator Pantry. Um, I think that's what I got out of Mike over there, but do check that out when it comes out today. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that, you get exclusive content available only to members and lots of other great stuff and discounts and ebooks. and we'll leave it at that today. I also want to remind you, please call 866-65-THINK as soon as you can. Leave a two-minute message on what the Survival Podcast, our community, and prepping has done to change your life over the last year or two. Uh, this is going to be like our one-year anniversary show. You can listen to that to get some ideas for what to say. But I want episode 550 to be all about the audience and just people calling in and saying what prepping has done to change their life. I want to hear about your garden. I want to hear about you getting out of debt. I want to hear about you taking control of your life. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic. And again, I want to talk today about controlling economic fear and just moving forward in life instead of letting fear paralyze you or letting fear box you into decisions that just really aren't good decisions for you. Um, I'm a big believer that if you hear anybody handing out generic financial advice, everybody should do the next, you know, over the next week should do A, B, and C. And they're not simple things like formulate a debt plan, uh, make sure that you're saving a, a good portion of your income, you know, make sure if they're not, if they don't leave you a lot of choice in exactly how they're enacted, if they're concrete, such as, you know, convert all your money to gold and silver in the next five days because the whole world's going to end, um, you know, clean out your 401k plan and all these other things that you hear these hypesters saying. And even when they're not, Even when they're not hypesters, when you hear people like Susie Orman and Jim Cramer and they're like, well, you know, a good place to put your money is X, Y, and Z. 
right? And they just put your money there and wait and use the long haul. And, you know, look, you're not the same as anybody else in the world. Your income's different. Your expenses are different. Your desires are different. Your hopes for the future are different. Your station in life is different. What you're content with and what you're not content with are different. Everything about you is unique. That's what makes you freaking you. If you were like everybody else, what a boring-ass planet we would live on. So when I have, I hear people saying stupid shit like, clean out your 401k now, penalties be damned, sell every stock you own now, the market's going to crash in five days, put 100% of your money into the gold, it's the only safe place. Just get a gun and you can take whatever you need if everything crashes. Screw it, stay in debt. If the shit hits the fan, there's going to be nobody around to collect anyway. They're going to destroy everything anyway, so screw it. And all of these things like this, um, it just bugs me because... There are so many ways for you to get hurt with that kind of a philosophy. All of those bet on the whole system failing. And if the whole system fails and you do those things, you might get out okay. You probably will. But what if the system doesn't fail? What if the system doesn't fail for 10 years? How much of your life can you destroy over a decade so that by the time it does fail, all these great-sounding plans have ruined you to the point where you're actually worse off than the people that did nothing? You have to understand that in any place where someone's trying to sell you something, if they're selling it based on fear, they're going to accentuate the fear. And if we're gonna, like, make good decisions, and it's not that buying gold is bad. It's not that there are not times when it makes sense to maybe say, look, I'm gonna liquidate my 401k. I've done it once in my life. Once. Not every deferred plan I had. I had one account in one situation where it made sense to pay the interest and the penalty and get the money out for a specific purpose. But that was for me at a specific point in time in my life. You know? It's not going to be the same for you. Now, you might reach that point, too. But please do it informed. Please do it with a full understanding. Please do not do it based on fear. Please, if you're thinking you're going to do it because of fear, wait one more day. You always have one more day. Unless you're sitting in the path of a hurricane or a tsunami or a forest fire. In this world... When everything still sort of looks okay, there's another day. There's one day to wait. There's one day to be sure. It's the same rule I have for buying something. You're going to go out and make a major purchase, anything more than $500. Live without it for another day or two. Just live without it for another day or two. If you still want it after another day or two and you can afford it, go buy the damn thing. But you'll be shocked at how many things you'll go, I don't really need that. You'll think, I need a new car. This old car is just not getting me around the way it used to anymore. And hell, I can pay cash for a car. And a new car is twenty-five grand, or a good used car is twenty grand. I'm going to pay cash for it. That's fine. Drive the old car for another week and decide if you really need a new car. Sometimes you'll buy a new car. Sometimes you'll keep driving that car. The same thing with any kind of irrational move. Just wait. Give a pause. Think. Always ask yourself certain questions. 
What happens if I do this? And here's the important one. What happens if I don't do this? Do you know how many things our government wouldn't have screwed the hell up if they would have asked those two questions? What will happen if we don't do anything? In many instances, yes, things will get worse. But will they get worse? And will they get even more worse if we do something? Sometimes we're going to have a bad event occur. And sometimes there's no way to avoid it. And sometimes trying to fix it makes it worse. Like the economic bailout. So what I want to talk about is I want to answer a few questions for you. I want to first start off with a big misconception that people have. And this comes from people that mean well, and it also comes from people that just want to sell you something. And it comes from both sides because some people know better and some people just don't understand. And they think they do. So when they say it, they, they're trying to make it easy to understand. They're trying to make it simple, and they believe what they're saying. They're not lying to you. But you will often hear people say that inflation is not, nothing more than a devaluation of money. It's not even untrue. You've probably heard me say it at some point in time. But it's not the complete picture. So what I'm saying to you is if the United States economy has $10 trillion in it, and they pump in $1 trillion more dollars... Okay, And now there's $11 trillion, the total value of the dollar, in theory, mathematically, must decrease by the amount of new money that came in, 10%, because there's nothing backing it, there's no gold, there's no commodity, so I put in 10% more, the new money sucks its value from the old money. But it is not that simple, because we still live in an economy where some of the price controls are based on supply and demand. Hold on while I silence the dog, folks. Well, except for the pause, that was almost like live radio. That was uh, the uh, FedEx guy bringing me uh, some stuff from Shelf Reliance, guys, one of our sponsors. And uh, the dog wanted to kill him. But, you know, what I was saying is that uh, inflation is more than simply the devaluation of money. It is not just the, 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 the more money comes in because we have a supply and demand curve that's still going on. So even though the Fed might pump in 20% more money tomorrow morning, it won't immediately inflate. There is a lag before this can occur. There's also something else in the equation called the velocity of money. If the Fed pumps in 20% more money and all that money goes into the economy and people put it in their pockets and hold on to it and don't spend it, it actually has zero effect. On inflation. It has no effect. Because it's not in circulation. The money both has to be into the economy and it has to get spent. It has to get circulated. And it also has to get into the hands of people that spend money. If it only goes into banks and it gets held by banks, the velocity of money doesn't increase. Wages have to increase. And either you have to have more money than you did yesterday. Okay, There's one way we can have inflation. Because then you're willing to spend some of the extra money. You can have the cost of certain parts of your life go down, freeing up disposable wealth. So if we had a complete revaluation of the real estate market, we came through it, we would have some level of actually healthy inflation at that point because as prices on property adjusted down and more people could afford houses and people moved back in and, and the houses turned over and the banks lost their money and people lost their houses, but it was given the opportunity to recover once that stabilized and all of a sudden people that had been paying $3,000 a month for a house 
because they live in a stupid place, like California, and were paying $1,500, if their income level was relatively the same, even if it was lower, if it was close, they have another $1,500 in disposable income. All of these things will make money flow. So we can either decrease the cost of living in certain sectors of the economy and allow for inflation in others, or we can increase the gross income of people, and those are the only two ways that we can actually have inflation in its standard form, the way that the Keynesian wants it. See, your government and your, and your central bank desire inflation. They want inflation every year at a small increment. They want a controlled inflation. And here's the thing that most people don't realize. Most of America is 100% put all their chips, all their poker chips on the table. They're all in on inflation. That's why they buy a house they can't afford, because inflation will take care of it. That's why they put all their money into high-risk stocks, because they can't afford to hold cash, because inflation will beat them. Right? This is why business owners continually take capital and force it back into their businesses, rather than taking some portion out, being taxed on it, and spending it, because they have to keep growing their business to combat inflation. The entire thing is a chess game where the people at the head of the board, which are your government and its economic policies and cohort in the United States anyway with the Federal Reserve and your counterparts in every other nation for you international listeners, force the economy into a continuous inflation to force money to flow so that economies can grow. That's it. And they would tell you the same thing I just did, except they'd tell you how great it is. They'll tell you how wonderful it is. Now, if you sit there as a normal person without any preconceived ideas and without trying to formulate a plan to rule the world like Pinky in the Brain, then you're going to sit here and go, this doesn't sound good at all. And we have been lulled into a place where we believe that prices should naturally go up. The cost of living should increase year over year over year over year. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. We can have inflation in specific commodities that is 100% supply and demand driven, and those are very self-rectifying. It's a very holistic system. So if there's a shortage in wheat, so wheat inflates, and we don't have a bunch of people trying to push buttons and push it back down and control its inflation so that it's only 2% instead of 15%, And we don't have a lot of people cashing in short-term, making money, and then watching it drop back down, playing commodity options. If we just let the product do what it's going to do, what happens when the price of wheat goes up? More people that grow food start growing wheat versus something like corn if corn's not grown up, gone up. And what happens is the supply level comes up, the demand level levels off, and the price equalizes. So in a free market economy, you will see spikes in certain sectors, but you will also see them quickly level. In a Keynesian-driven economy, you will see those same spikes, you will see the Keynesian try to make them fixed and push them back into a relatively uh, stasis, and then you'll see deflationary periods, huge deflationary periods, where because the money gets held and it doesn't get spent... We go into a deflationary period, and what we end up with is, is a, a point where we have deflation and inflation at the same time. It's exactly where we are now. The value of your property goes down. The value of your car goes down. 
the value of all the things that you look at as assets decreases, but your total cost of living goes up. Your cost of energy goes up. Cost of food goes up. Right? Cost of everything that you need goes up. And the va- while the value of your property has gone down, right? you're holding a mortgage at a higher value. You're paying more for your property than it's worth every month that you sit in your house. But you're stuck because if you leave, you can't get a new loan and you can't buy a new house at the right value. So not only is the housing deflated, but it still doesn't sell at the lower value because, one, the people in the house can't afford to sell it for less. Two, the houses are vacated. The banks are sitting on them versus dropping the price to the real price. And third, the, the, the government falsely props them up. This is where we're at right now. So we have inflation and deflation going on simultaneously. They called this stagflation in the 70s. So the next thing we need to do, though, is talk about what is hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is the big reason that everybody supposedly should own gold and silver, and I don't think it's the only reason you should own gold and silver. I think the Keynesian plan that's going to stay in place for a long time because I don't trust that the people of this country are going to wake up. I don't trust 60% of us are going to wake up in the next 10 years to this and, and require the government to fix this nonsense. It ain't going to happen. So even if everything goes back to normal, everything we get a recovery, I'm completely wrong about the next crash, we're going to see 2, 3, 4, 5% inflation. And that's the number they're going to tell you versus the real number. That's the core inflation index where they leave things out like, you know, gas. Because not everybody uses that, right? Because they say it's too volatile. <laughs> that means they can't control it the way they would like to. So even without hyperinflation, there's a continuous devaluation of money. So holding gold and silver and any other commodity you can that's a lifelong investment makes sense. Whether you're going to use it or sell it at some point, uh, in the, in the nature of, you know, depending on the nature of the commodity, something that's a food you're going to eat. But it's going to cost you less to eat it if it's a long-term storable food. You're eating it a year after you paid for it. What everybody else is paying today's price, you're eating food you paid yesterday's price for. That's part of how we beat inflation as preppers. But what makes inflation hyperinflation? A lot of things have to happen to kick into a true hyperinflation. We can go through an accelerated inflation, a high rate of inflation, but a hyperinflation is when people actually lose confidence in the currency overall. Where people look at the currency and go, this isn't worth anything anymore. And the only way you can get anything with it is, is just like, you know, in Zimbabwe, spending $10 million for a Coke. Which is just stupid. You know, and, and it, that inflation like that doesn't happen today in nations like ours. It just doesn't work out that way. We're not going to see Weimar. Everybody talks about the Weimar Republic in Germany and people walking around with a wheelbarrow full of money to get a sack of potatoes, right? But if you look at modern inflationary studies where hyperinflation kicked in in nations like Russia and Argentina, nobody was throwing their money away. Their money was getting devalued. They were trying to put it into another currency or into another commodity as quickly as possible. But they were still exchanging the money in the economy. And it didn't get to a point where it completely went away. And here's something. I'm going to drop a bomb on you right now. If you're like doing something else, pay attention. Because I'm going to drop something on you that's pretty profound that you'll need to understand and you'll need to think about over the next couple days to really to really get what it means for you and me. Everybody talks about Weimar and says, well, in Weimar, you need a wheelbarrow of money to get a sack of potatoes. I want you to think about the, that in reverse. What does that mean a sack of potatoes is worth in hard times? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever had anybody 
tell you to think about it that way. What it really told you is that when times got really, really tough, food was worth more than currency. Now, it went to the extreme there, but that's what it really came down to. Food was worth more than money. Think about that. I also want you to think about, instead of worrying about exactly what, you know, hyperinflation is or isn't, exactly what's going to happen next, what the timeline is, what the decline of the dollar actually looks like. Does it completely destroy itself and do we end up with a North American Amero? Or do we end up with a new U.S. currency? Do they revalue it? Do they rebase it with another commodity? Instead of worrying all about all that, because a lot of that is outside of our control, And as people that want to live lives in an empowered way where we have the life that we want, no matter what happens, we have to focus on the stuff we control, not the stuff that is controlled by others. We can be a voice of reason in a sea of insanity. We can fight for what's right. We can inform other people. We can educate other people. We can do what we can as we get a chance at the ballot box, which most of the time, It's just a fool's errand because we're, we're, we're choosing between ass clown A and ass clown B in most instances. We can call our congressmen, we can call our senators, and we should. But in the end, those should make up 2% of our time. And we should spend 98% of our time focusing on the things that we control and the things that we need. When we talk about survival, we talk about five needs. And there's five needs that every human being, and that means you, need. And these are the only five things you need to survive and to be relatively happy. And you won't be happy without them, and you won't be alive without them. So maybe you should focus on them. They are food, water, shelter, energy security. That is it. Those are your five needs. If you can feed yourself every day in a way that you enjoy eating what you're feeding yourself, You know, you're not living on top ramen. And you're not eating food that's unhealthy and bad for you. And you actually can have a good result from the food that goes into your body. If you have fresh, clean water to use in your cooking, your bathing, and your consumption every day so that you stay healthy. If you have shelter so that when it's cold outside, you're warm inside. And when it's hot outside, you're cool inside. You're protected from rain. And you have a place where you can have the shelter be more than just a lean-to, but a place where you can coexist with your family and your loved ones. A home that you've turned into a homestead. If you have a source of energy so that you can light your home, so that you can keep yourself warm, so that you can cook your food. And if you have security, knowing that you can defend yourself, so that somebody can't take what you have You have a self-reliant lifestyle, and you have control of your own destiny, and it doesn't matter what happens to the dollar. If you pay off your home in 10 years versus 30, like most people do, and you own your home, and you have very, very low taxes, there's only so much they can do to you if you take and build that kind of lifestyle, and the dollar becomes worthless... Do you care? If you can feed yourself, drink water every day, have security around your home, and it's not that simple. It's not like the whole world can turn into the road warrior and you're still going to be off in your little la-la utopia. But let's face it, the complete total desolation scenario is a million to one. We're more likely to see that happen from an asteroid or a comet, folks, 
than we are because the economy got screwed up. Or because of peak oil. Or because of agricultural shortage. These are all important issues. These are all things we have to focus on. These are all things we have to be ready for. But the way they cause disaster and calamity doesn't look anything like the freaking movies. When have you ever watched a movie about anything that looked real? If you, you know, if you want to understand theatrics and fan fiction and novels and, and movies and all this stuff, all you have to do is watch any movie about fighting. You know, the old kung fu movies, you know, stuff like Bloodsport and the old classic Chinese kung fu movies. Remember Any Which Way But Loose with uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, the Rocky movie, all these, any movie with fighting, boxing, anything like that in it, right? Watch that and then switch your TV on to Spike TV and watch replays of MMA fights where it's real people fighting for real. And what does it look like? It looks nothing like the movies. It's two guys that are very good fighters. And generally speaking, the first one, it makes a mistake, and one of those haymakers land, out on the canvas, done. Right? You see these movies where this guy takes 15, 20 shots to the face. The guy gets him down, and as he's getting up, he does a roundhouse, you know, crescent kick, and puts the left leg up in the air, and pulls the right leg over. Bam! He kicks him in the face. The guy's face wobbles back and forth, blood and spits. He hits the ground, and he makes a fist, and he gets up. Right? First of all, you never see a kick like that in MMA fighting. And if anybody lands anything close to that on somebody's face, you see their eyes roll back in their head, they hit the canvas, and they are freaking done. Why? One is reality. The other one is for entertainment. So all, let that be a metaphor for all of these doomsday scenario projections that people come up with when they're fantasizing and these role-playing ideas and all this other stuff. That's not, it's never going to look like the way they say it's going to look like. It can suck. It can be really bad. But you know what humanity's done every time it sucked and was really bad? Adjusted, adapted, moved on, overcame it, kept going. Now, sometimes thousands of people, sometimes millions of people died in that change. That's why we prepare. But everything didn't vanish. Everything didn't go away. And the first thing that happened once the breakdown and the ordeal was over was a rebuilding. Because that's what we do as human beings. So, to me, if you want to know what your best investment is, it's land. I know it can't be done this way for everybody, but I, it, you know... A half acre or more of productive land as far away as you can get from a conventional city and as off the beaten path as you can get and still have the things you want. I'm not saying you got to go to Idaho. And if you want to go to Idaho, go. Uh, go. I I'm not saying that's bad either. I'm just trying to say it doesn't have to be the extreme. But get out of the incorporated areas. Get out of the areas where you're paying property taxes that are higher than I used to pay in rent just 15 years ago. I have friends in New Jersey, they pay $12,000 freaking dollars a year on property tax for a four-bedroom house that's a 100 years old on a half acre of property. $12,000 a year. They pay $1,000 a month in property tax. You want to know why I say the suburbs are going to die? Because people are going to finally go, bullshit, I don't have to do this anymore. They're going to go take a low-paying job out in the country and live like they're poor, but be rich, as far as wealth goes. Or they're going to take their high-paying skills, and they're going to go find a, a Wi-Fi connection, or a WiMAX connection down the country. And they're going to say to hell with this. Or, they're going to say to hell with this, and they're going to move into the city. Not everybody. You're going to see a mass exodus in both directions. 
The land out in, in the country is going to be where people can live like human beings. There are people, I guess, that can be happy living in a building, in one city block building with 10,000 people in that building. It ain't me. And if you're listening to the show, it probably ain't you. But if you own land, and I mean own it, I mean, you you do whatever you have to. You sleep in a tent for a year if you have to. I have a, a friend, an online friend. I've never actually met this man personally. I used to have a website called Coog Two Wolves. He actually builds custom fly rods and things like that now. When he moved, he moved actually to, it's either New Hampshire or Vermont that he's in. I think it's Vermont. No, it's northern New Hampshire. Maybe he's part of the Free State Project now. I don't know. He moved there before it existed. And uh, they put in a basement. And a, a great big double wide mobile home, a really nice one on top of a, of a center block basement with a big deck. And they got as much land as they could. They bought it up against a mountain where the mountain was so steep that no one would ever build behind them. And they started living off the land as much as they could. And he still had a job. And, um, you know, as he looked at doing all of these things, as he looked at building that life, he realized that he didn't want to be in debt that he wanted to be able to do this in a way that uh, he would have control of his life. So what they did, they got a great big teepee. And they bought the land and paid cash for it before they moved there. So they paid cash for the land. It took them a year or two to do that. And then once they had the land paid for, they sold the place that they had. And they moved there. And they set up a freaking teepee. And they lived in that teepee through a New Hampshire winter, either Vermont or New Hampshire winter, um, for a year. While they did all the work themselves to build the uh, the basement, saved up money because they had no expenses during this period of time, so they could bring in the basic utilities and paid cash for the mobile home. And two years into it, they had their property and everything was paid for. Am I saying that that's the path for you? No, that's not something everybody's willing or even able to do. What I am saying is, if it's what you really want, there's always a way. And it could be a half acre. I tell you, I would look for an acre or two. And the right property in the right place in the right way, that's enough to provide you so much. I really recommend everybody check out a book. I'm going to have to add this one to my book list. And uh, it's one I should have added there a long time ago called Possum Living. About a person that did this basically in an urban environment back in, I think it was in the 70s she did this. So the hell with it, quit. You know, just decided to live off one suburban lot and pull that off. Now, I'm not saying that you need to completely live off the land. It's pretty difficult to do, honestly. But every percentage point that you make self-sufficiency work for you is one less that you're dependent. So if you can become 40 or 50% self-sufficient, again, you have to think about just basic mathematics. You have to work 50% less, right? You don't have to work as hard. Or if you keep working as hard as you are, 50% of your income becomes available to stock away into more things that provide you more self-sufficiency. It's a little bit at a time. It's an incremental effect. It might take 10 years. But most people take 10 years of their you know best years of their life to get themselves deeply into debt so they have to work the next 30 years before they can retire. Where some people decided the hell with this, they take 10 years to get themselves into a point where they don't have to work much for the rest of their life. And a lot of the people that are in the rat race look at those other, t those other people and they say, oh, they got it easy. It was easy for them. They got lucky. They didn't get lucky. They built their lives. 
You can build that life. And you can build 10% of it, or you can build 100% of it. But damn, take control and do something. I think land is the best place to make your stand. Last night somebody said, well, they can take your land away. You know what my response was? Come and try. Come and try. I've done everything I can to avoid conflict. I've gone to a place where there's no reason that there ever would be an easement issue because I live in the middle of, of a mountain. There's no reason for imminent domain because there ain't nothing up there. There's no reason for annexation because there's so few of us they can't afford to annex us for the tax base they would get and back on the services they would have to. And I pay my taxes and as low as they are, I could pay them for the next 30 years. You find any other reason to take my property, come and try. I'm not going to live my life in freaking fear, worried about, well, if I build this, someone will take it away. If, if, and it's, in, it's in our community, folks. We, gotta, we have got to exercise it. Just like an exorcism of a demon, right? But if we have a garden and the shit hits the fan and people will come take my tomatoes, so freaking what? Eat some tomatoes until that happens. And when someone comes to try to take your tomato away, decide whether or not you're willing to share or whether you're willing to fight for it. But if the shit hits the fan that bad, folks, if it's that bad, breathing's going to make you a target anyway. You might as well enjoy your life. While you can. You might as well build the most self-sufficient, robust life you can today. And the people that want to go hide in a place where it doesn't even look like anybody is, in an underground bunker, and they think they're going to go down in a hole in the ground and live off MREs and, and number 10 cans for two years, completely desolate from the planet, pretending nothing, nobody else is out there, when you come out of that hole, you're going to be stark raving mad crazy. That's not reality. That's the Jean-Claude Van Damme fight scene. Stay in the real world. Stay in the real world. Where when you get hit in the head, it knocks you down for real. Because if you believe that you can get up time and time again, the only thing awaiting you is being knocked out, a concussion, or death. And that's what so many people that are living this life in fear are setting themselves up for. Survivalism is not about running away and hiding. Survivalism is about being empowered. I can't tell you how many things I've read in chat rooms and comment sections. You know, the newspaper will do an expose about survivalists, right? And they'll feature a family and they'll show their pantry and everything. And I, I think the media always sensationalizes that, but let it be what it is. And you'll always see in the comment section, they're not real survivalists, real survivalists. Don't tell anybody that they're survivalists. Who says? Who made that ass clown overlording king of what is, is, not, is and is not a survivalist, Right? If he's a survivalist, they know who he is. He just made a comment. Don't think you do things online and no one can figure out who you are. Hell, I can figure out who you are from a comment on a blog. If I can figure out who you are, you bet the best minds in our government that are looking for you can figure out who you are. Does that mean to get paranoid and go away? No, you know what it means. It means when you're in a forum and you have you know, you know things in your signature like give me liberty or give me death or those that prefer... Uh, prefer liberty or for her safety to liberty deserve neither live that way then don't hide behind anonymity now i'm not saying you walk around your neighborhood right now and say hey man the shit is the fan i got lots of food that's kind of foolish but i'm saying don't hide who you are don't hide what you are and don't be afraid that whatever you build someone's going to take away because then all you do is live your life with meagerness and poverty and have nothing and think you're getting over on somebody you're not getting over on anybody you get to die with nothing 
Whether it, whether it comes with a calamity, a disaster, a breakdown, or just because you're 90. That's what you end up with when you live that way. This is negative greed. This is reverse greed. This is the same thing that kills businesses. People fear losing what they don't even have. How can you be afraid of losing a garden you haven't planted? How can you be afraid of losing money you haven't yet earned? These are the things ruining our nation. Don't cling to them. Banish them. Let them the hell go. Screw that. You don't have time for this stuff. You have to focus on the fact that you were put here. And I believe that we are put here. That is a gift. This life is a gift. It is not a trial for me. I love every day that I'm here. I feel blessed every day that I'm here, that I wake up and I walk outside and I breathe the air and I see the blue sky and I feel the wind. What a blessing. And it comes with a countdown that we don't know. That countdown might run for 90 years. It might run for 80 years. It might run for the next five minutes for some of us. We are mortal, at least in this form. And someday we're going to check out. We should live our lives in power. And people say that if you live your life for yourself, you're not thinking of others. I completely disagree. If you live your life as a greedy bastard, you're not living for others. But if you live a life empowered and in liberty, and you create self-sufficiency, and you stand up and you say, this is the way to live, you do more for the world than you could ever do by staying poor and working in a homeless shelter every day. All staying poor and working in a homeless shelter does every day is make you feel better about being miserable and make it easier for someone else to live off of the efforts of others. When you stand up as an example and say, this is what's possible, then you inspire others to do it too. And that's a hell of a lot bigger of a contribution. It is not selfish to put yourself first if you do it in a way so that you are setting your life up so you're not dependent on other people. That is the least selfish thing you could do. Most people would say, oh, look at a guy. He doesn't care about anybody else. He's out there building his own world. And that same person that will put him down is doing it because he's, one, resentful, two, projecting, and three, is actually sucking from the system and feeling like he's charitable. The same person that calls the survivalist a hoarder of supplies and materials that can be used by others will be the one that runs out and clears the shelves off when a disaster happens because they haven't used the time of plenty to prepare. The same person, and this is the same thing that happens with money. Guy saves his money, greedy. Look at this, he's tightwad, greedy, right? But that's the first person that person is going to run to when they're out of money. And a smart person that saved their money isn't going to give it to the person that's in financial trouble because it will make their problems worse. You want to ruin somebody's life that's in financial trouble? Give them money. Whatever problem they had, multiply it by 10. That's where they'll be in 12 months because they haven't fixed the underlying issue. You want to understand how to go forward in an uncertain economy? Focus on yourself. Don't worry somebody's going to take something away from you. Somebody tries to take something away from you, you fight to keep it. If you lose the fight, set up a new battle and fight again. Rebuild. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's how they win. They win if you quit. In the end, you also have to understand this they shit. There is no they. There's no they. 
I know some of you are going to have a real hard time with this next part. There's no they. There's only us. It's all us. Now, us is a big damn group, folks. There's a crap ton of us. But in this nation, I'm not upset with George Bush. I'm not upset with Barack Obama. I'm not upset with Clinton. I'm not upset with Bush the first. I'm upset with the society that elected these people. They decided this was the best we could do. This was it. This was it. This was our cho- our choice was between Al Gore and George Bush Jr. Really? That was the best out of all of America. Out of all of America. This was the best we could do for a man to stand up and lead our nation. In the last election, John McCain and Barack Obama, a man that's never held a real job in his life. John McCain, who's is closer to Obama than than the, the 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 ideals he's supposed to represent. These were the two best. This was the best we could do, really. You know we can do better. Don't be angry at the politician. Be angry at the people that elected these. But don't even focus on your anger. That's a waste of time. Understand, the only way you're going to change those other people, you're not going to change them by sending them an email that says, hey, look, this is how much money Obama spent. They don't give a shit. They don't care. They'll get mad, but they don't care. You know why? Because 15 minutes later, they're worried about the score of whatever you know sports team they follow. And they're more worried about that than they are that Obama spent a bunch of money because they know eh, nothing I can really do about it. The only way you're going to change those people is you have to change who and what you are. And here's the good news. You don't have to change it into what I say it is. You don't have to meet my ideals. You have to change into who you really are. You have to take off all the plastic. You have to take off all the barriers. You have to shed all the bullshit. You have to quit being somebody else. You have to quit being fake and plastic. If you mean shit, you say shit. You don't say poop. All right. Now, there's certain social situations where you just don't do it. But in your daily life, and people are going, he's he's telling people they should cuss now. I'm not telling you you should cuss. If it's not you, don't do it. If poop is what you would say, you say poop. That's why I say stuff like this on the show. Because I'm going to be me, damn it. I'm going to be who I am. And what I really am. Who I am as a human being on the inside. You start living in truth to who you are. You let go of all the plastic crap that you've put on yourself to protect yourself from society and all of it that's been assigned to you by society and you start living as what you really are. Trust yourself. You're a good person. People think if everybody did that, then everybody would be out stealing and robbing and raping and pillaging. No, they wouldn't. The fact that you would worry that you would do that is going to tell you you wouldn't. That's your moral center. That's your real self saying, hey, you know, they're not going to do that. If I told you you could do anything you want outside of the boundaries of the law, all right, most people would still live like decent people. I'm sorry, it's true. I know it's hard for some people to accept. Most people would. Now, the 10% that wouldn't would destroy everything. That's why we need law enforcement. But 90% of people are inherently decent people that don't want to take anything from somebody else. This is why when people are walking through a playground and one big kid's beating up a little kid, even though the guy walking by that sees it going on has no doesn't know either kid, no responsibility for it, goes over and grabs the bigger kid by the neck and pulls him up. So what the hell are you doing beating up on this little kid? Is he doing it because he's a police officer? Because there's a, he's doing it because it's the right freaking thing to do. 
This is why if you're walking through a parking lot and you saw someone trying to attack a lady and pulling her into a car, most people, man, woman, doesn't matter. Most kids would run over and start beating the guy with the car door, do whatever they can to help this lady. Did, did law require it? Is it some sense of requirement from, from some code, whether it be religious or moral? Or is it internal? This is wrong. I'm going to stop it. That's you. That's who you really are. You want to deal with economics. First you deal with that. You stop being somebody else. Because money screws people up. Money totally screws people up. There's nothing wrong with money in of itself. Money is a good thing. Money is a wonderful thing. Money is not the root of all evil. The love is. The love of money. Money is how we keep people from taking advantage of others. If you want something, you have to put out some level of production to acquire it. Without money, we don't have that. Without money, the strong take and the weak give. But when we get people into a financial system and we start trying to create an illusion that everybody's supposed to be equal and we take away what people really are, we take away who they are underneath, we bury their humanity in crap, then their soul forms a great, giant, huge, sucking black hole. And if you think this isn't about inflation, if you think this isn't about the economy, pay attention because it is. Because it's all about you. And that's where it really comes down to. And once that hole forms in the heart of a person, all they do is work more and work harder and try to get more. And no matter how much success they have or how much failure they have, whatever they can get their hands on, whatever shiny thing they can buy, they pull it into their life and then the hole just sucks the happiness out of it. And it's just another piece of crap laying on a shelf. And it happens again and again and again. And all of a sudden money, which is supposed to bring us happiness, which is supposed to give us equality in our lives, which is supposed to put everybody on equal footing, becomes a tool for enslavement. You are more in danger of being enslaved in a successful economy to the ravages of debt and false belief than you are at losing everything you have because the dollar devalues to zero. Focus on the bigger threat. The bigger threat is what a successful economy or even a lackluster economy will do to you if you don't control yourself. This is the reality. Hyperinflation is more about you and everybody around you than what anybody does with monetary policy. Hyperinflation is when everybody looks at the money and gives up and quits. And that can happen on the individual level on a daily basis. And to the people that think they can live in debt and screw it when it all crashes, what if it only crashes for you? What if the crash is, Tom, sorry, you're fired. Get out of here. Goodbye. Here's two weeks severance. See you. Go file for unemployment, see how that works out. We're going to fight it because we don't like you. Now, you've been living in debt. You've got all this debt. you got a mortgage. you got you know your kids and all, all these activities that you can't afford. And this happens to you. Sure, if everything collapses, there's no one there to collect it. But when it only happens to you, buddy, somebody's coming to collect it. And next thing you know, you're losing your home. Your, your life is just totally turned upside. I wouldn't say destroyed. Most people feel that it's destroyed. It's not. It may be the best thing that could ever happen to people if they take the opportunity that comes on the other side of it. Because it cleanses them. You know, They go through a bankruptcy. They lose the house. They lose everything. But what they have now is a fresh start, if they'll see it that way. But it always comes down to you. The defeatist attitude is poison, though. 
I, I could hear it in people last night, and I don't want to put anybody down, but I could just see it in some of the text comments. Well, they'll just take it away. Uh, no! Defeatism has no place in your life. Please purge it. And you have to have that attitude going into what I call the next shift. I don't know if we're going to have the complete collapse I predict, and it's not really a complete collapse. It's a really bad one. I'm talking 1930s real depression-type collapse. That's what I see next. We see this little bubble of recovery, this PR campaign, Peter Schiff's right, the next bust is in T-bills, boom, credit busts out the other side, everything goes flat, it looks twice as bad as it is right now and it stays there for a long time. If that happens, it's a shift. If the economy rebounds for real and goes into a longer period of recovery and I'm wrong, it's a shift. If we have to make exceptions to our fossil fuel usage because peak oil hits us, it's a shift. If there are food shortages around the world, it's a shift. If there are major changes in our governmental structure, it's a shift. One way or another, there's going to be change. Things are going to shift. And we're living at a time when change is more severe than it's ever been before. The, the straight road takes a sharper left or a right turn at random, harder than any time in human history. And more and more people are so dependent on the road staying straight, the more and more people are hurt when, the, when we have to take a sudden left or a right jog. So be prepared for the shift. Have the attitude that I've just discussed with you going forward. But in the end, it always comes down to you, folks. It doesn't come down to anybody else. It can't come down to anybody else. It can't be about anybody else because you still call the shots in your life. I heard a lot of people ask, I say, well, what if I don't have much of an income? What if I, what if I live a very poor lifestyle as it is? I just don't have much money at all. You know, I'm on disability or whatever. Fix it. Fix it. There's lawyers in wheelchairs. They make good money. It's not that I don't feel for you. It's not that I don't understand. It's not that I, hell, I, it's not that, hell, it's not that I haven't been there. I have. That's why I compl that's why I understand the other side. That's why I understand whatever excuse you have for why you can't have more, you are full of shit. You are disempowering yourself. Let go of it. Grab on to something. It's not always about money either. Define what you really want and build that. Believe in yourself enough to try. Ask yourself the question every day, how do I get this done? You might ask it for six months with no answers. That's okay. That's fine. There's no problem with not having that answer. The problem comes when you stop asking the question. You have no excuse to not ask the question other than it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. It feels hokey. Or whatever other bullshit you can come up with. But you can ask yourself every day. You can get up and go, how do I get myself into a life that's like A, B, C, and D? I don't have an answer. Fine. You could stop at lunchtime and ask yourself the same question. Right? Notice this isn't the positive reinforcement guru bullshit. I'm wonderful. Everybody likes me. You know, and that stuff, this is simply asking yourself a question. Dinner time, ask yourself. When you go to bed, ask yourself a question. Plant a seed in your mind. Your mind is the most powerful computer in the known universe. It will find a solution. It will constantly take in everything you're doing, and all of a sudden you'll be like, I shouldn't do this anymore. You'll be like, whatever it is, you'll be like, I shouldn't do this anymore. 
I shouldn't spend this money or I shouldn't spend my time this way or I shouldn't associate myself with this person or whatever it is. You'll just feel it. You won't even know why. Trust it. That's the computer working. And keep asking the question. And next thing you know, you're going to be sitting down and you're going to look and go, oh, this is what I can do. And what seems so hard, what seems so calm, what seems so ridiculous, what seems like Jack was bullshitting you about, you'll go, oh, look, if I do this and this and this and this, it all adds up to here. Notice I'm not saying that exactly what these components are or what the result is, because I can't do that for you. What makes me ecstatically happy? What makes me the happiest man on the planet might make you completely miserable. Living the way I want to live might not be for you. That's okay. But you know what? You still need water, food, shelter, energy, and security. We, that's the commonality that we share. Just like the commonality of disaster, we need to prepare to have those things. Well, what we need for happiness are those five things. How you assemble them, where they come from, what redundancies you place in them, how you pay for them, how you create them, whether you do it by hand or whether you, you go out and earn money and per, pay somebody else to do it whether you do it in five years or ten years or fifteen, all of those are personal choices that you get to make. Don't think there isn't time. Now, there could be some kind of catastrophic event occur. So that's why I say simple things. There are some concrete rules. 60 days worth of food. At least 30, but 60 is better. Some money in gold and silver, just in case. Cash on hand at all times. A plan, an attitude, a mentality. But your long-term goals need to have so much more of a strategic nature to them. You need to be looking ahead at all times. Don't be afraid to build a business in this environment. This is a great environment to build businesses. You know why? Because all of the all of the people that are like you know Johnny Come Lately's happy-go-luckies, sorry asses that just get in the way and screw the market up, they're all scared. They all run away. There's only the people people in business right now, people starting businesses right now, they believe with passion in who and what they are. If, you're, if they're going to be your competitor, that's a great competitor to have. They're not going to screw the market up. right? If they're going to be your partner, that's a great partner to have. If you're going to be there, you're going to be their supplier or they're going to be your supplier, what a great relationship to have. The people that are making it now, and not just in this industry, in any industry, they're the people you want to be involved with. You want to start something, you want to make something for yourself, do it. I don't care if it's business, I don't care if it's a house, I don't care what it is. And when you hear somebody get on and say, oh, everything's going to crash, everything's going to fall apart, it's all going to come down, buy gold and silver, liquidate your 401k, see them for the ass clown that they are. If money sucks, and all your money should be in gold and silver, why do they want your money for gold and silver? Why don't they just keep the gold and silver they have instead of selling it to you? Ever ask yourself that question? When you hear people talk about Weimar Republic and say, buy gold and silver, this is what happened in Germany, you need a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy a potato, a bag of potatoes. Ask yourself, what does that mean the potatoes were worth? And then I want you to ask you this. I said I was going to come back to this question, I am. I want you to really think about this over the next day. What would it have taken to buy a bag of potatoes if in everybody's backyard was a little built with scrap wood bin full of straw and in that straw was a constantly growing supply of potatoes and off to the side was a little patch of comfrey and every time new potatoes were put in there to grow they were wrapped in a comfrey leaf 
and they were slowly harvested, and everybody had a little straw bin growing potatoes in their backyard, four foot by four foot by four foot high. Even in Weimar, would it have taken a wheelbarrow of money to buy a potato then? Or would have nobody wanted to buy a potato? Would the velocity of money around that one commodity have ceased? Would it have leveled? You see? Everything's about the angle from which it's observed. That's permaculture permeating all walks of life. I don't want to go into that now because we're at the end of the show. But it's reality. If electricity is going to cost, you know, 50 cents a, 50 cents a kilowatt, you know, 50 cents a watt, whatever it is, instead of, you know, 9 cents, would that be the case if every house in America had a 2 kilowatt solar panel system sitting up on their roof and produced at least that much for themselves? Would the price ever go as high as it would without it? You know? Here's reality for you. You know the stimulus bill that was supposed to fix everything It didn't? The same amount of money would have put that 2 kilowatt system on the roof of every owner-occupied house in America, full tilt, paid for, done. Every home in America could have one right now with the same amount of money spent. That means your government isn't going to fix your problem because what they bought for us gives us nothing. It gives us absolutely nothing. No one can point to one tangible thing that's actually the good of the American people other than lying about statistics and saying, well, we saved jobs that weren't lost. No one can point to any concrete creation and say, the stimulus bought that and that is going to take care of us for 10 or 20 years. Not one. That means you have to build things that take care of you for 10 or 20 years. And I'm telling you, you can do it. I know I sound a little bit like a motivational speaker today, and maybe I am today. But I am in direct opposition to the people that say there is no hope. We can't go for it. Bullshit. If that's the case, we might as well all break out the gold master cards right now. Go out and buy everything we can. And when the bills come due, not pay them. Declare bankruptcy. Wait seven years and do it again. And say the hell with it. And leave all of the problems for our grandchildren. That's what a defeatist attitude leads to. That's why most Americans live that way. Because they live with defeatism. Don't you do it. Believe 100% in yourself. The inner self. Shed all the bullshit. Be real and honest with yourself if with nobody else. If you're honest with yourself for long enough, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You'll start being honest with everybody else. With that, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.